0: Morning, my name is Randy, um, one of the pastors and teachers on the teaching team, and um, glad to be with you today. Um, Hopefully, I'll make it through today's talk. For a number of months, we have been uh, working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians with, of course, a recent break for Christmas, and... um, We've spent a lot of time sort of even highlighting and summarizing the material and what uh, Paul's goal was and his le- listeners and all that, but we did that so many times that I'm not doing that anymore. And uh, essentially, for me, as I have worked through the, uh, the book and wrestling with Paul's topics, I- I've personally concluded that he is primarily engaging his readers in one topic. How do we live life pleasing to God? And I think that's a pretty relevant Question for anybody who is questioning: Is there a God? If there is, what does it mean to follow Him? Is He really who the Bible says He is? And I shared a couple weeks ago that um, I've been doing some a, a lot of detailed work in my life uh, relative to some journaling and exercises about. Uh, issues that God's working with in me, and uh, I shared pretty, um, I think, vulnerably a couple of weeks ago that as I got down to asking some of those questions, I found that, you know, there's some spots in my belief system that aren't all that I wish they were. Last couple of weeks, we have been looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, and in these verses... Uh, Paul has identified uh, two different kinds of life, two opposing ways of living, and then as well describes their outcomes. And here's what he, he says in this text. Walk according to the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not subject to the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. And I'm warning you, as I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit's leading in every area of our lives. Um, on the cross over here on your right are a whole bunch of uh, red little papers. And uh, if you were he- not here last week and you were here previously, you would know that prior to last Sunday, that cross was empty. And on the first Sunday of every New Year, uh, we take time to pause and consider some of the challenges we're experiencing, perhaps some of the things that we're hoping uh, to see change in our lives, maybe things we'd like to implement, and we take a moment to reflect on that on the first Sunday, and then we nail those things to the cross, and this scripture here is uh, at the heart of why we do that exercise, as a reflection of the reality of what we're supposed to be doing relative to these issues and things of the sinful nature. To help us towards an understanding of walking according to the spirit in contrast to walking according to the flesh, I introduced us over the last couple of weeks to three different topics, the first being a biblical understanding of the human person, uh, and then the process of transformation of the human person, and then a pathway for transformation in likeness. And I I wish at some level that I could review those topics again. But in order to get where we need to get today, I'm not going to do that. If you happen to have missed uh, one or both of those weeks, uh, if you're at all interested in my teaching notes, uh, my notes are pretty well sort of written out. And more than likely, you could get uh, some of the understandings that I was trying to share. And then uh, uh, sometime in the next month or so, usually we get our the audio of our sermons posted, and perhaps that would be helpful to you as well when that's done. Before we head into our material this morning, let's pray. Papa, I know that my heart resonates with our worship this morning and a desire to be awakened, a desire to have your spirit fall and lead and guide. We're talking this morning about walking a new kind of way, walking according to your spirit rather than to our human flesh, pursuit of your heart and your will for those around us, rather than living out of a place of wanting the world to be the way I want it. And I I just welcome you as we um, kind of conclude this section of Galatians to. I meet you today as I met you this week. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would bring revelation to us. That you'd sort of draw the cover back of our hearts and let us see perhaps a place or two where you're at work and where we need to come alongside and participate with your work. Papa, for our guests that are here that have come uh, this morning uh, seeking perhaps seeking you, perhaps seeking a place to connect friendships, a family. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to embrace them, even as we attempt to do as well. Come, Holy Spirit, fall on us. Take these uh, words and thoughts, and and might they be uh, those things that lead us into a greater understanding of who you are and how to live, and how to walk according to your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, while it would seem like, after two weeks of sort of talking around this topic, that that I should be ready to initiate with what it means to walk in the spirit. Sadly, I couldn't do that. Um, There was just a few more things that I felt important to highlight for us as we talk about this issue of walking according to the flesh. That is um, the way that most of us walk much of the time. So I want to spend a bit of time understanding what is meant by the flesh. What does that really mean? Uh, the word translated here, flesh, primarily means the body. Uh, it's a Greek word, sarx, and primarily just sort of is talking about the human flesh, our body, and, and its many parts. And um, throughout kind of that ancient era, there was, were movements of thought, uh, in my opinion, contrary to God, that would suggest that the body was bad. Uh, Gnosticism was an expression of that belief. And there was a lot of conflict uh, in the early church relative to this idea of is the body bad or is the body okay? And um, to a great degree, when um, people have looked at this Galatians passage and they have looked at the word flesh here and then the um, expressions of outcomes that come as a result of it, it's been concluded and suggested that that flesh here means our, our fallen, sinful nature. Our human, fallen, sinful nature. But I'm going to suggest to you that the word flesh in and of itself does not connotate that. Flesh is my body. Now, is there a nature of human sinfulness? And an expression of that through my body? Absolutely. But the flesh in and of itself is not bad. And here's a definition that I would give you uh, from a hero of mine, Dallas Willard. He says the flesh consists in our natural human abilities and actions. The flesh is what we can do on our own without special divine interaction. Look with me again, if you would, at verses 16 and 17 in Galatians 5. And and I want to highlight a couple of words here. Walk according to the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit is opposed to the flesh. Notice that Paul does not say that the flesh, per se, is bad. What he says is that the desires of the flesh are opposed or in conflict to the spirit. The word here is a very strong word and is most often translated lust. So, if we might, instead of desire, insert a legitimate translation of that word in this text, it might sound slightly different to us in our thinking relative to these two words of desire and lust. Walk according to the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For what the flesh lusts for is opposed to the spirit and the spirit opposed to that. Not so much that the spirit is opposed to our, our body. It's opposed to the desires of the flesh run amuck, Or in domination and in control. What we do and can do in our flesh is not necessarily automatically bad. I can type on my computer... I can mow my lawn. Clara can cook. She can sew. Each of us have jobs. Many of us have jobs and work. And those things are not desires of the flesh. They are expressions of our our human action. Primarily what we do in our own strength, in our own abilities. What we can do on our own. But when we give ourselves over to the lusts of the flesh, now that's a problem. And that is what Paul is addressing. And here and in other places, Paul would suggest and language it that the problem with giving ourselves to the desires of the flesh is it leads to addictions and bondage and being out of control and being dominated by the feelings and affections, and passions of our human flesh and life. The Apostle Paul jumps in, in 1 John chapter 2, to talk about this uh, topic of the flesh. And he says this in John 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is of the world and not from the Father. Now John does not mean by the word uh, world here, he does not mean the earth or the solar system or the universe. He's not saying do not love the earth. In fact... We were told to have dominion over the earth. And some of our green activities of today are honorable to the direction of God at the beginning of the creation to where we're supposed to take care of this thing. So John's not saying that going green is a problem. Are we okay with that? Okay. So what is he talking about? The Bible world, John is talking about the relating of human life apart from god the relating of human life apart from god Th- this can have a variety of expressions some of which are just sort of you know it's the way it is i relate uh, to people at my work who are are not pursuers of god and and sometimes there's some bumping and clashing Because of humans that have only the training to want the world the way they want it. And quite regularly, uh, I have a gal at work who likes, likes to let me know that the world is not the way she wants it. At least related to the way some of the work I do. And that's a little tough, but I'm working on it. He then goes on to highlight this aspect of human life, the relatedness, the societal connections of human life apart from God as having three primary expressions. Now, whether there's three or we could dialogue and identify a hundred more, there probably are. Um, he, He identifies three here that are fairly key and core. He identifies lust of the flesh, which Paul has been talking about, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, the lust of the flesh um, could be uh, defined as the inordinate lust to satisfy bodily cravings. The inordinate lust to satisfy bodily cravings. We all need to eat. We all need food to nourish our body and to live. If we don't eat, we die over time, at some point in time. If we don't drink water, over time, we'll die. We need food. But an inordinate expression of the satisfaction of eating could be called gluttony. Or in our day, having an expression of purging. We have been created as human beings within the image of God to be uh, created for drama. And many of our households are full of drama. (laughs) But our media is also full of drama. It's a part of who we are as created by God. But the inordinate lust for drama... Would look like a gluttony of entertainment. Movie after movie after movie, TV show after TV show, book after book, magazine after magazine. And I think we all can say, you know, I mean, a little drama in life's just fine. Just don't give me too much of it. And that's true. Uh, another place we we need we need a place to live. We should have a uh, no. You're right. We're good. Sorry. We we need a place to live. We need a roof over our, ho- our homes, a roof over our heads. It's an appropriate thing when it's cold outside and raining to be inside. And most of us have, to a great degree, fairly simple homes. But the inordinate lust for a satisfaction would look much more like an exorbitant lifestyle or residence. Disappointment. Disappointment is a part of our human makeup. We're sad when a loved one is injured. We're sad when a loved one moves. But an inordinate amount of disappointment of not getting my way can lead to anger, rage, and murder. Sexual intimacy in marriage that God designed and provided and blessed in creation is a beautiful thing in its place where God has designed it. However, wanton immorality, expressions of sexual passions in many ways and with many people is not the heart of God. It is an expression of the lust of the flesh. Similarly, the lust of the eyes might be defined as this, the desire to look good as well as to see what is pleasing. Sort of a little twofold here. Desire to look good. Anybody here kind of know that feeling of wanting to be looked good or wanting to be respected or you know wanting people to like us? Those are not the lusts of the eyes. Those are elements of our created built being needing love and relationship. But the lust of the eyes can become an inordinate expression that can consume us and move us from things like modest attire to extravagant and bizarre clothing. Little or much. Simple makeup that's used, has been used throughout the centuries for attractiveness and pleasantness has become in our day fairly extravagantly expressed in body art. From a simple single expression of statement to a body that is absolutely covered with art. That's a little exorbitant to me. I'm fine with a tattoo or two. I don't have any. Um, I I thought about it, but not very much. Some of my daughters have them. Some of my friends have them. I'm okay. There's no. But this exorbitant thing has to do with the desire to look good, to be thought well of, or worse, bad of, for something. In some cases, how about simple jewelry? Jewelry again. It's been a part of uh, human. Society for, since the beginning. But how about extreme body piercings that are now piercing 80 million body parts in all kinds of places that you and I don't want to talk about? A little extreme. It's expression of this lust of the eyes. The, enjoy, the exercise. Exercise is a good thing. But how about extreme sports? People who live their life out of these expressions that are all about the physical body, with little thought about the rest of life in the world. Not everybody who is into extreme sports is, is you know, horrific here. I, I, just, just walk with me. There are expressions of that which comes out of a normal expression of being a human being, and then there are expressions of those same simple things in much more extravagant, diverse. Sensual, ungodly ways, enjoyment of beauty, we have been created as human beings with uh, a desire and an experience of beauty that we 're drawn to. It can be in nature it can it can be related to things like even just the stars, it can be related to the look of people, but in our society, particularly and throughout probably human history, there are exorbitant, lusting expressions of this enjoyment of beauty that becomes obsessive, perhaps obsessive pornography, or obsessive other kinds of things. And then John talks about the pride of life. This I might suggest uh, a definition for as the will to dominate and control. The will to dominate and control. Within the human person, as we're growing in life, we experience times of insecurity. Times perhaps when we don't feel as significant as others. Sometimes that kind of normal human behavior can be manifested in ways that become bullying and domination. Out of insecurity or inferiority, we take control of the people around us and our own lives. Dissatisfaction. Again, a little bit like disappointment. Dissatisfa- I, I'm dissatisfied with elements of my life, elements of the way I live. I'm dissatisfied with uh, some of the way that... Claire and I have managed our finances. I'm disappointed. But those kinds of things can move towards an inordinate amount of desire and passion and lust to become taking and stealing. I'm disappointed. I'm dissatisfied. And I'm going to take. Leadership. We need leaders in the world. We need leaders in the church. We need leaders in all kinds of places. Parents are leaders. Older children are leaders to their younger children. Leadership is a part of the design of God to have those who help journey those along. The Bible says older ones lead and guide and help the younger ones. But leadership can become dictatorship and other manifestations of lust for a pride of life. Inordinate desire, this passion for power and taking charge of my life can express itself as it does in movies these days like the movie The Wolf on Wall Street. If you don't know that movie, I'm glad you don't. If you do, you understand what I'm talking about. This inordinate passion and grasping, taking and stealing Living lives of lust and theft and all kinds of misery to others. Satisfying the desire to have the world my way. Are expressions of these aspects of the relationships on the earth that John is saying, don't go there. Don't love those things. Don't pursue those kinds of expressions of life, the passion and lusts of the flesh, the passion and lusts of the eyes, the passion and pride of life. And I can well imagine that that while we consider these depictions as being extreme, exaggerated for most of us in this room, the reality is, is that every one of us live from our flesh what we can do on our own, Every day. And in a way that in some occasions opposes God and usurps his rightful place as Lord and Savior. We're taught by our families, our schools, our churches, media, and society that if we're going to succeed in life, if we're going to make it, we're going to need to have to take charge of our life. Because who else will? We learn to study And work, plan, shop, drive. We learn to consider options and and make decisions that seem best for ourselves and those we love and care about. Those are appropriate things. But that very same training, that very same process, trains us to be competent, self-reliant, and independent to where to a degree we don't need God. And that is the heart of what Paul's trying to get at when he talks about the works of the flesh. There are these aspects of how we live our lives that are opposing God's leadership by living out patterns and habits and expressions of wanting the world the way i want it the the quarrels that happen in home settings even my home are expressions of the human flesh disagreement can escalate to become conflict disdain anger and divorce and that Front end, bottom thing of quarreling has within it that potential for harming another human being because we want it to be this way. The toilet paper needs to roll out, not in. Okay. In my office at work, we have a refrigerator and the, and the paper towels are up here just sitting. No, no anything. They need to roll this way. So that so I'm right handed, so I can kind of hold this one, pull out, and tear it off, right? But my boss is left handed. We have a problem. <laughs> Flips it around, I come, I flip it around, <laughs> Not really. I made that story up. I mean the paper towel is like that and it, it mostly stays the way I want it, actually. I am the facilities manager. Okay. I have authority. All right. So what I find to be true about myself and many people is that we have this tendency to live life doing the best job we can, um, making the best decisions we can, um, talking to people and getting input, but we're fairly self-reliant. We can pretty well do a lot of life without God. And and that's not necessarily, per se, wrong or bad. I don't think God really cares how I type on my computer. I don't think he really cares how the paper towel or the toilet paper goes. I think my wife doesn't really care either, which is why it goes my way. We did make that agreement before we got married, which way the toilet paper would go. We've been married for 36 years, and she's done it right every year. All right, I'm glad you can laugh with me. We're talking about a reality, gang. The real deal is that we live our lives without God every day as Christians who say that Jesus is Lord of my life. And the trouble is is that there are arenas where we are moving from typing on our computer and the way I'm typing, or the speed I'm typing, that God doesn't care less about, to decisions about how I'm going to relate to my boss or the people in my office. That tends to be a whole lot more about what I think is the way I should do that. And when we often, as Christians, tend to turn to God is when something is overwhelming or too big for us to handle. And then we go running to Papa and say, oh my gosh, I can't do this. This is too big for me and I need your help. Because all these other things I got down pat. But this one I don't and I need your help. And I'm going to suggest to you that walking according to the flesh and walking according to the Spirit is going to require some changes of our daily lives. I used the term last week. I'm not even sure I can come up with it. It's not in my notes for this week. But sort of automatic responses that we have to our world and the way people relate to us. We have automatic responses. When the toilet paper is put on there the wrong way, I have an automatic response. I talked about the light switch thing in my office, for those of you who are here in the office at home. My flesh was all over that thing. That had nothing to do with God or love for my wife. And that needs to change, and it's changed to a great degree. I don't, I don't even really think about it. I just go in, if the lights don't come on, I walk over to this other room and do one. it. It's fine. I've worked through that automatic response that I used to have, which was, who in the world turned the dang light switch off? Because we have buttons on remotes, for those of you who didn't hear the story. I go into the office, and I push the button, and it doesn't work. I walk over to the other wall, to the other button, it doesn't work. And the light switch is off. And I had communicated to everybody in the house that we don't turn that light switch off because then the buttons won't work. But I'm over that one. I really am. I just... I am. Claire, am I over that one? Have you heard me even mention that for at least a week? Last Sunday. Yeah, but it was past. Is what I used to do. All right. Anybody with me on this idea about we live most of our life the way we want and then occasionally we want God's help because we can't do this or thing or that? Okay. That's the flesh. That's walking according to the flesh. That's why I need to talk about it again. So I need to take us a little further. Because most of us, you know, those things in the list, just not an issue for us. I don't do any of that stuff. Really? Anger? You don't have any anger? I struggle with anger. Quarreling? Wow, you're so perfect that you don't even ever quarrel with anybody. Stuart doesn't. Stuart is just so easygoing. He cares for people so much. Stuart's one of my son-in-laws, and uh, they just uh, Mercy and he just got married this last July. So I'm still getting acquainted with him. But one of the things I know about Stuart, he is just really easygoing. Do you care which way the toilet paper goes? Oh, he does. <laughs> Which way is it supposed to go? Over the top. Good job. Well, I trained her, so you should be okay. (laughs) So the question I kind of came up with here at the end of this material about walking according to the flesh is, is it supposed to be any different than the way we're doing it? Is it possible... That we are living according to the flesh, that we're walking according to the flesh in a daily way in a time that needs to change to become more of an expression of walking according to the Spirit. I would suggest yes. I would suggest that's what Paul is talking about. Listen to these words again as we transition from walking in the flesh to walking according to the Spirit. Yay. Only five minutes left. We're good. All right. Walk according to the Spirit and you will not... Fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walk according to the Spirit, and you will not live your life in such a way that you're demanding everything to be the way you want it. Live your life according to the Spirit, and you will not find yourself living out addictions and fleshly pursuits. They're in opposition to each other. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, what the spirit is to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. What I want. What do we really want? As Christians, we really want to live according to God's will. I, I, I'm confident that every one of us in this room really want to do that. The problem, to a great degree, is that in the world you do it. Okay, so Paul says, walk, you know, don't walk according to the flesh cautious. Okay, and? And the outcomes are really cool. Right? Or, I mean, of the Spirit. Now, I'm going to skip through this. Paul's not saying that those... I'm warning you, last, last statement here. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things, living according to the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. I need to address that. Paul is not saying that those who do these things are not going to heaven. Expression of the kingdom of God is not going to heaven. The kingdom of God is expressed in heaven, but it's not the same. So Paul is not saying when you express and walk out of the flesh, you won't inherit heaven. He's not saying that God doesn't love those who do these things. He's not saying that those who do these things are going to be punished. He says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Inherit means to get something that we didn't earn or work for. And he immediately follows that that verse up with this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. And if we're living according to the Spirit, let us also walk in step with the Spirit. To inherit the kingdom of God is to receive and experience the blessings of life lived within the realm and direction of God's provision and blessing. Genesis chapter 1, immediately after, or shortly after creating humankind, Adam and Eve, the text says, And God blessed them. And blessing means to, to provision, to will the good of, and to honor. God Almighty's desire is to bless you, to provision you to give you the resources you need to live your life the way you want, according to the Spirit. When we're living out of our own natural human abilities and actions, when we're doing life on our own, in our own strength, we're cutting ourselves off from the benefits of receiving and experiencing the blessings of life lived within the realm of God we're cutting off the availability of grace, the empowering presence of God to do what I can't do. Not for eternity, not for our lifetime, simply in the moments that we are living according to what we think is best, whether that is through a choice and our will or whether it is through an automatic thought, feeling, or action, we're hindering the provision of life in God's kingdom that He has promised to those who love Him and follow Him. God wants to bless us. He wants you to have an adequate home. He wants you to have enough food. He wants you to feel loved and cared for. He doesn't promise all of that in an inordinate amount. Although, He is such a cool daddy that he has this tendency to just pour it on out. He promises that actually that's what it's going to look like. More blessing than you could actually ever hold or contain. Spilling into your lap and overflowing so that it blesses the rest of the world who doesn't yet know him. Christians are supposed to be the most blessed people on the planet and those who are not should say, I want some of that. And I'm not primarily talking about money, although money's in the proposal. It's in the contract. But primarily, it's life lived in such a way that I'm free from fear and torment and discouragement and, and, and the yuckiness of life. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience potential harm. It doesn't mean our loved ones might not get hurt or worse. But it means that God is longing to provide good to us. That he is good and that he wants us to experience good. The alternative that Paul describes is walking according to the spirit. And when we're doing that in contrast to the works of the flesh, we will experience the fruit of the spirit rather than anger we will experience patience. Rather than quarreling, we'll experience peace. Rather than envy, we'll experience love. Rather than fear, we'll experience joy. Rather than frustration, we'll experience self-control. There's a saying that says, don't worry about living a holy life. Worry about living A holy moment. We need some revelation. From God. About ways that we're walking according to our flesh. We need help from the Holy Spirit. To begin to put his finger on places and times and ways. Where we're just doing it on our own. And where we're opposing. The expression of the kingdom of God. Paul, I believe, is using the language of walking according to the Spirit because the process is a journey. It's going to take time. You're going to have ups and downs. There's going to be hard times and easier times. You might get a few blisters. You might stumble, scrape your knee. But you're not alone. God has provisioned you with a guide, someone to make the journey with you. And the language Paul uses here is that we need to walk in step with the Spirit. Not in the sense of you get out of line and I'm going to yell at you like a drill sergeant. But in the sense, follow me. Where I step, you step. Where I lead, you go. What I'm impressing upon your mind and heart to say and do right now, do that. That's what it means to walk according to the Spirit. One of the names for the Holy Spirit is comforter. He's not a harsh taskmaster. He's a gentle companion. One who is looking out for what is truly best for you. Better than you can on your own. And when we're walking in step with the Spirit, God's grace, His empowering presence will flow into us, enabling us to do what we cannot do on our own. Love. I cannot love my wife on my own. I am too full on my own of self-pursuit and self-preservation. I need God's Empowering presence to do what I can't do, which is fill me with love that actually looks out more for her good than for my own. Philippians chapter 2. Great chapter. Might want to read it relative to this topic. In working on this uh, material, I felt leading that I was to conclude this material by talking a bit about some more specifics about my own personal journey of living to walk and step with the Spirit. Many of you know much of my story. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I, I struggled and wrestled with pornography and masturbation as a teen. I hated it. I hated myself. Got married, and the problem did not immediately go away until God came and brought healing and freedom for me while I pursued and worked hard for those things to stop. At age 25, I was interacting with a Christian leader, and I said to them, you know, I know all about God. I've read the Bible a bunch of times. I've been a missionary. I've led people to Christ. I know all about him, but I don't think I know it. At age 29, I was my wife and I were listening to a song by a, a Christian artist named Twyla Paris. The songs called "Runner." It talks about running at the end of our race into the arms of God. And in that moment, I I saw a picture of myself running a race in like a Coliseum on a track. And in the stands, I saw God the Father standing. And cheering for me. And I realized in that moment that my view of God was not of one who would stand and cheer for me. But rather, my view of God at that time, at age 25, was that God was a great big policeman waiting for me to do something wrong so he could slap me. And in that moment, I was healed of that erroneous mindset And there has not been a moment, not a single moment since that day when I have questioned God's love for me. And that when I stumble, when I blow it, when I make a mistake, when I'm unloving, that He's cheering for me to get back up and get in the race. That He's not berating me. Why aren't you better? Why didn't you... Why haven't, aren't you more passionate? Why haven't you grown up more, faster? No, that's not what my father does with me. He says, I'm proud of you, Randy. Thank you for seeking me today. You're doing a good job. Let me help you with this. Throughout our lives, Claire and I have had to make big decisions related to jobs, uh, moving, ministry expressions. We've tried very hard to pray, to hear God's voice, to get wise counsel from leaders in our lives, to understand what is God's will for our lives in a particular time or season or setting so that we could walk in step with Him. Not choosing the way that we want, but God, what is it that you really want? And friends, that has been genuinely hard and we've made some mistakes along the way. I remember a time I remember a time where I I said to God, we're looking at a house to buy. And <clears throat> we're walking through the house at the realtor. And I said, God, do you want us to buy this house? He said, it's okay. No, 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 God. No, no, no. That, that wasn't the question I asked. I asked, do you want us to buy this house? Is this your will? It's Okay. That wasn't real helpful. All right. So it's okay. Let's do it. We bought the house. Then we find out financial little situation thing, and we needed an extra $10,000 cash to get in. Um, The problem was we had already ripped up carpeting, torn down a wall, rebuilt a different wall, and had bought all the carpeting, new carpeting for the house that was sitting in the living room. And we couldn't close on the house. Oops. It's okay. Yeah, right, it's okay. God came through. He worked good. Somebody loaned us the money. It may not have been ten grand. I don't know what it was. But they loaned us the money and we were able to pay it back within months instead of years. Somehow. The house became ours. It was beautiful. We loved it. And about three years later, God led us to move to San Antonio and walk away from the house that I thought was sort of the house of our dreams. And now we live in a house, a dream house that God provided to us in magical ways. So this is not an easy process. And while I've had a lot of experiences of God's presence, and I've taught a lot lot about experiencing God's presence, sometime in the last couple of years, I felt like I came to an understanding that while I've grown in my knowing about God and had experienced His presence in many ways since I was 25, in very meaningful ways, I came to the revelation and the understanding, you know what? I still don't really know much about God. I don't know him much. And that felt a little bit like the emperor not having any clothes. Aaron, a pastor, has been teaching for decades about experiencing God's presence and praying for people to experience God's presence. And here I am with, I don't think I still know God very much. I've attempted to to wrestle with that uh, in the last couple of years, as well as talk to God about it. I've gotten input from others. And there have been a couple of glimmers, maybe, of change in that regard, but not not a whole lot. And then a little over a year ago, Claire and I and a a few other leaders in the church, we were introduced to some uh, materials about growing in God from our church missionaries and friends, John and Jophy Wilson. And then last January, a year ago, just a year ago now, three men in our church and I started using these materials during the week. And then we would meet a couple times a month to discuss what we were learning and how it was going in our actual experiences of meeting God and growing in Him and experiencing change. And it has been extremely extremely helpful, both the materials and the spiritual friends that are engaging me in the process. Back in November, one of the lessons in this material was about God being at work in our lives. The author from New Testament scriptures suggested that God is always at work, which is what Jesus said. And he he asked us to consider what What is it that God's working on in your life right now? Could you identify maybe two or three front burner items on the front of the stove, things that God's really cooking right now? And uh, prayed through that, wrestled through that, journaled through that, and came up with what I identified as at that time, just a month ago, three, three things that I felt like were front burner items for me. One of them was experiencing God's presence with me during the day. Because I wasn't. I went to work. I did my job. I related to people. And there was a little bit in the back of my mind like, oh, God, help me with these people. Because they're hard to live with. I'm fine, I'm sure. But they're really tough. So experiencing God's presence would be during my day. Just a month ago, I identified that as, as a front burner item. Second one was my responses to my mistakes, particularly at work. It would take a while to unpack that. And then a third one was trusting God as my source and fear of losing my job. Again, if you've been around, you've heard me sort of dialogue a little bit about the last year and a half and some of the things I've been facing there. I felt like those three items were were the front burner items that God wanted to work on. And so in the material, the uh, author encouraged us uh, to answer seven questions related to um, this item, describing it, uh, writing about its progress, how are we doing, what's its status, and what is God saying to you about it and about the process and about what he's doing because God's at work. And um, the... This process of of identifying these three things and the process of journaling and reading and and, uh, wrestling with and having my friends engage me has been incredibly fruitful, incredibly fruitful. And I feel like I have grown in experiencing God's presence with me during the day more than I have in the last 15 years, in the last month, particularly this week been extremely helpful. Last week, as I was uh, finally, just these, this last uh, few days, I was finishing writing, journaling about the, the very last front burner item there, trusting God as my source and fear of losing my job. And in uh, the process of reflecting about all three of these and journaling, and, as well as reading some materials by Dallas Willard about the process of transformation, which I shared a little bit of in the last couple weeks and the part that we have to play in that, in the process. I came to realize something that was so incredibly startling and daunting. And I likened it yesterday, as I did just a moment ago, to the children's story that the emperor has no clothes. And I want to share what that is with you. And I'm actually going to read it from my journal so that you get it right from the horse's mouth. (laughs) Unedited, sort of. And this is going to take us a couple of minutes. but I share this with you because I'm really not in much of a different place than you. My story's a little different. The things I'm struggling with or wrestling with are a little different than yours, but we're all trying to figure out how to live life, pleasing to God in a way that works. me too. This was uh, Wednesday morning, this week. For the last two nights, I have continued to read chapter 9 from Divine Conspiracy, where Willard discusses what a training program for genuine discipleship could and should look like. Just a minute, I need to blow my nose. Sorry. Jim, mute me. Not mutiny. I love cedar, but I I prefer it in my closet than... uh, In my face. (laughs) Both nights, I reviewed pages 337 and 338, attempting to grasp what Willard is summarizing on these pages. I write about it here because I felt that these reflections relate to my part in this issue of trusting God as my source and fear of losing my job. Additionally, I became very aware that I continue to wrestle with fear. I may make it through. I'll make it through. I've read this now three or four times in the last day, but it's genuinely at my heart of hearts. I became very aware that I continue to wrestle with fear of getting a phone call from Priscilla or Clara of them having been in a bad accident and calling me while they're trapped in the car. Now, while my rational mind is able to explain away the inordinate concern, the emotion and fear remain. I bring this up because any fear of these kinds calls into question and even evidences my lack of trust in God and that I am in some significant way responsible to be able to help or save Clara and Priscilla from harm. These two pages from Divine Conspiracy are titled God's Hand Seen in and Through the Events of the Disciple's Life. And I wrote a couple of quotes and I'm just going to read one portion of one of them. We'll never have the easy, unhesitating love of God that makes obedience to Jesus our natural response unless we are absolutely sure that it is good for us to be and to be who we are. This means that we must have no doubt That the path appointed for us by, when, and where, and to whom we have been born is good. And that nothing irredeemable has happened or can happen to us on our way to our destiny in God's full world. I felt like this incredibly addresses my lack of trusting God as my source And my fear of losing my job and exposes and describes a deeper fear. Can God be trusted to take care of me and my loved ones or am I responsible to take care of myself and them? I'd had a dream the last couple of weeks that I journaled and shared with a friend. And in this dream, I'm I'm carrying this large, awkward, um, object. And in the circumstance of the dream, I end up losing. Clara's with me, but I lose her. She, I, I, I moved on ahead and I, I lost her. And I was focusing on the rest of the dream and how meaningful it was to me. But my dear friend said, hmm, what was that thing you were carrying that made you do that? That you felt was important for you to do what you did. I went, God, I don't have a clue. While that object might be many things, this morning it seems plausible that that object is my belief or concern that God can't be trusted and that I'm responsible to take care of myself and my loved ones because he won't. The emperor has no clothes. I'm wrestling at the core of my core being of trusting the God who our scriptures tell us is a God of provision and love who will take care of us. And I speculate that many of us here, maybe all, have areas of our life where we don't trust God where we're just not sure he can get the job done or will. And friends, that's living according to the flesh. It's sin. And it conflicts with living according to the spirit. And while I could perhaps at this moment walk away condemned, disheartened, absolutely miserable, I'm not. Because at least I know now the heart of some of my issues. And I can begin to dialogue with God and my friends about what it my wife, what does it need to look like How can I address this gaping unbelief in my life? God, I I can't let go of that real easily as much as I would like to just say, oh, yeah, right, God will take care of it, not a problem. I'm good. Let's go. Let's move on. No. No. At the core of the core of the core of my heart, honestly, is a fear. God does not promise us that our friend, loved ones will not experience harm. He promises that he will redeem and bring good through every situation. But I don't want my wife and daughter to suffer. I don't really care about me that much. I'd be okay with a car accident and stuck and all that kind of stuff. I'd rather die than you know be paralyzed or something, but... But them? And the reason Priscilla's in I have five daughters, Priscilla's the only one unmarried right at the moment. Mercy has Stuart. Esther has Daniel. On and on go Benjamin, Matt. And Priscilla's got a good friend. But right now, she's still living under our roof and in our life. And I want to protect her from harm. And not that long ago, I almost lost her mercy to a car accident. I want to end the service. I'm sorry it's so long and so late. And uh, if the worship team could come up. I, 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 Claire, are we going to do worship team or no? No. no. Okay. I'll let Claire take over.
1: I'll stay sort of yeah thanks (laughs) All right. I don't think there's anybody in this room that can walk out this door without acknowledging that there's something separating us from a God who's good and beautiful that there's trust issues and pain and concern so we're not going to have a team over there on the wall because I would have to be waiting with everybody else so we're going to let the Holy Spirit do this this morning does that sound good? and so worship team we're not going to have you up here because you probably need prayer too you have a face. What does that face mean? What? You don't agree with that? You want to do something? Well, then go. All right. I just wanted to release you all. But it guess we're not releasing joy. Okay? But if there's other in the worship team that say, uh, I need prayer, I need ministry, then joy can handle it on the, on the piano, I'm sure. Right, Joy? Okay, that was good. All right. All right. So let's stand. And I think it's very convenient that we have this step here. It's as close to an altar that I think the vineyard is going to have. There's no carpet on it. There's no carpet on it, so this is going to be the real McCoy. Okay, so if you cannot kneel, don't. Don't put your arthritic needs anywhere near this thing, okay? But if you can and you feel led to, come up here and have business with God. About an area where you're like, God, if you say no to this, I'm going to die. If I don't get this right now, I'm going to die. God, if, if you don't come through in this area of work or a marriage or ministry or whatever, it's going to be a barrier between you and me. Then that's an area of trust. So come forward. Come on. Just come forward. Be real with God. No one's going to pray for you. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And you know, our pastor is a very vulnerable man. And he leads through his brokenness. Admitting that he's broken. That's good leadership. I wouldn't trust... A pastor that wasn't broken. So come. Come, Holy Spirit. That doesn't have a limp. Yeah, and broken. I'm sorry. Broken things can let God come through. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. So be real with the Holy Spirit. It's a good way to start the year. Have you've been far from God, like that baby that was asleep this morning, God wants you to know, I love you asleep. I love you awake. I love you asleep. I want you to come near. Come near. Come near to the merciful God. That when you're distant, he draws you near to him. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need you, Holy Spirit. We can't live without you. We're sorry, Lord, that we have let this barrier, this mistrust, this if you don't do this, I won't. Father, we repent. We repent, Lord. We turn away from that to see your face, to see who you are. You are trustworthy. You are faithful. You are good. You are merciful. You are all powerful. You are able to flip every negative, bad thing and redeem it for good. There is nothing, not a death of a child, not a divorce, Father, not infidelity, not my addictions. None of those things, Father, can separate me from your love and your ability to use it for good in my life in the lives of my loved ones. You are able. You are able. Come, oh, Holy Spirit. I wash over them. Wash over them, Lord. Let them each by name. Feel your hand upon them, upon their life, willing to give up whatever is in the way, Lord. Whatever false belief systems hinder them, Father, they're willing to give it up. Father, for those who are standing and are saying, I need this, but for some reason I'm afraid to come forward, the Lord, meet them where they are, meet them in their seats, Lord. Meet them, Father. You go out. You will go out, Lord. So worship team's gonna do music, which is gonna be awesome. And you can stay as long as you want to linger before God and be in His presence. But I'll ask you that when you do leave, that you would leave quietly, so that those are here that are resting in His presence won't be interrupted by what's going on behind this very thin curtain okay but the service is dismissed but the Holy Spirit is hanging so let's just be with him now thank you God bless you